This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, helping you take charge of your mental health. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash nomid. Start living a better life today. This episode is also brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise by analyzing your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers for a personalized action plan. Save 25% today when you go to insidetracker.com slash NMA. And before we get to our episode, I wanted to give a quick reminder that my new book, The Plant-Based Athlete, which I co-wrote with a good longtime friend, Robert Cheek, uh, that is available for pre-order. It comes out on June 15th, 2021. And uh, anytime up until then, if you pre-order the book, you'll get a big, huge package of bonuses that Robert and I have put together. So in addition to all the great information we've packed into the plant-based athlete, including meal plans and 60 recipes, plus a day in the life of 25 top plant-based athletes, you'll also get this incredible package of bonuses. Uh, But you got to do it before the book comes out on June 15th, and that's at book.nomeatathlete.com. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomi Athlete Radio. Welcome, Jasmine. All right, Jasmine is so fun to be here. I'm so excited to open up all of these topics. Thank you so much for spending the time. For those listening, for those watching, Jasmine, you are unapologetically an artist, according to your bio. That's my first question. I'm going to ask you about that. But for those who don't know you, you have a background in TV, in film. You're a producer. You're a documentarian. You've starred in advertisement for the likes of Elle magazine and Apple and Sony. You've done TV projects. You've started in TV series. And we're going to get into, in particular, like I said, producing the documentary Invisible Vegan. You are an activist in that sense. I I think uh, we're going to talk about your relationship with Kamala Harris. Um, That's just for the people who, you know, would hang out before this time. And um, so, so excited to get into all of these topics. Thank you so much for, for being with us this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Okay. So like I said, unapologetically an artist, you know, most artists don't apologize a lot. They kind of do their thing. They're like outside, you know, the boundaries of, of normal people. I wish I could call myself an artist. I love working with metal and wood, you know, mostly functional art, furniture. I like to think of that as art. Um, but, but still, I don't call myself an artist. So I, I'd love to know, why are you unapologetically an artist? So I use the term unapologetically an artist because I grew up in D.C. So at the time when I grew up in D.C., you know, D.C. is a very, there's a political climate. You know, you have more kind of serious people there. And I went to, you know, a fairly good school where most of my friends, you know, they want to be doctors and lawyers and marketing execs. So when you say you want to go to school for something art related, they're like, excuse me, what? Like you want to go to school for art? Like art is in hobby, not as in this is how you make serious income. So I think, you know, having that when I was younger, that's why I say now, like, no, I'm unapologetic about it because before I used to be a little bit ashamed of it. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of layers we can peel, peel back there, but, um, but an artist, right? So do you, do you first and foremost, because you've taken on now with the documentary you know, uh, you're outspoken too. 
right? And almost, I, I think you would probably call yourself an activist, right? I mean, you're you're trying to change the world, right? As we all are, and as are many of the listeners, because fundamentally, the way we eat is a form of of activism. I think, uh, at least, it is for me, right? So, do you think that you're an artist first, or do you see yourself? Is that evolving a little bit, like? Do you think about creating beautiful art or do you think about changing someone's mind, changing the world as more of an artist now or an activist now? Oh, so when I think about when I think about being an artist, I think that's who I am at core. So when I was young, you know, I loved to sing. I used to star in musicals. I make movies for a while. I used to have you know, paintings that I painted all over my apartment before I just said, you know what, let me just put some professional art in the apartment. But like so much of my life and my experience was, you know, art, like talent, art and creating things. And so now I think I'm on my journey where I'm trying to kind of shift perspectives with my art. So that's something that I'm involved, I'm evolving into. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we, we probably jumped a little bit ahead and, and our audience is maybe catching up. You and I have had a couple of conversations, but let's go back to the beginning so folks can get to know you before we dive into the art and the activism. So you went to school for performing arts. Correct me if I'm using the wrong terminology. I know I can offend people easily with, uh, um, it, was it performing arts? Is TV and film and, and media, right? Fine arts? So it was, it's more behind the camera stuff. Gotcha. Okay. So not a performer, but then you went on to perform. So maybe you yeah. can just give us the background and I'll, I'll stop putting my foot in, in my mouth and ask you, you know, tell us, did you always want to go and be in front of or behind the camera? Because that too evolved, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So that was when I was young, very young I think around first grade I started doing plays and I fell in love with it and then fourth grade I remember that's when I wrote and produced my first play so and it got me citywide recognition I'm like this little fourth grader that's in the Washington Times newspaper for a play that I wrote so I was always really heavy in both and then when I went to college the thing about acting is acting is a little bit more um, I mean, you're, you're taking a big gamble when it comes to acting. And since it was something that already came natural to me, I'm like, well, I already kind of have a natural knack for that. Let me go to school for behind the scenes stuff so I can polish mm -hmm. up um, my directorial skills. So it's for me, it's always been both. Gotcha. I mean, that is, that is literally always. I mean, fourth grade, that's impressive. What, what was the play about when you were in fourth grade? It was about um, a starfish. So <laughs> I wrote myself like I was the star and it was starfish. And I even it was a musical, too. I remember the, the thing I was in the middle with my starfish costume and it was like starfish, starfish. Yeah, it was it was a thing. <laughs> so and you wrote the music and you sang the I, music. I did. I wrote I composed right. starfish everybody do the starfish dance yeah yeah okay well on your next visit i won't put you on the spot now but on your next visit there's there's gonna have to be a showing of the starfish dance i don't know if that's 
public record anywhere, but I really, I, I really want to know what that looks like. But <laughs> so we'll for the next one. Okay. Um, so it sounds like you said you went to school to balance out the natural talent in front of the camera and then behind the camera. And now your uh, career thus far has been a little bit of both. What, what do you prefer? Oh, so I like, I like being on camera. Being on camera is really fun, but I like the legacy of being behind the camera. Cause I feel like when you're a director, like for the invisible vegan, you know, to, to actually create something that lives, you know, you have a certain ownership over it. You know, you made a certain contribution that can never be divorced from this work opposed to when you're an actor, it's, it's another beautiful experience, but you're more like, you're bringing someone else's vision to life instead of like, no, this is my vision that I've created. So this is like my baby. Right, your art, some would say. Yeah. Um, well, that's probably a good segue because I, I wanna talk about your vision and the invisible vegan, but we can't really get into that unless we go back at somewhere between fourth grade and college and your career, you became vegan or plant-based, whichever term you decide. I'm assuming maybe it was before fourth grade, I, I, you know, just pick that point in time. But tell us what, what was your catalyst and, you know, tell us a little bit about that journey to today. Okay, so a lot of people become vegans for very noble reasons. I became a vegan because I saw a middle-aged woman wearing booty shorts and a tank top and she looked phenomenal in it. And I said to myself, I wanna be just like her. So I asked her, I'm like, hey, what's the deal? And she told me she was vegan, 70% raw. So that's when I was like, okay, then I'm gonna try this vegan situation. And then when I did it, a lot of the kind of health ailments I had at the time started clearing up. So I was like, oh, it's more to this than just looking good in booty shorts. So then, you know, the health reasons inspired me. And the more I read up on it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is how this affects the environment. Oh, look what they're doing to the animals. I don't want to do that. So then that became a motivator. And just having an overall just spiritual connection with the planet, just living in harmony with stuff instead of destroying it. Yeah. I actually resonate with that deeply. It wasn't the booty shorts, but... <laughs> Uh, I, too, have a totally selfish journey, uh, a little bit more about self-preservation, but we're all vain, myself included, maybe myself especially, um, but uh, definitely, like, made that first decision because, uh, you know, I just looked around and, and uh, had lost a lot of loved ones to heart disease and, you know, made the connection with, you know, your diet. And, uh, and it's so funny because I've heard that so many times, whatever is that first, you know, kind of on-ramp to this lifestyle, then we all start pulling the threads and start quickly learning that like, wait, there's the animal thing and there's the environment thing. Or if you came in because of the animals, you know, like quickly you learn about the environment and the health. And then all of a sudden up with like three main reasons that we're, you know, we're vegan, right? It's, it's the animals, it's the environment, and it's your health, right? And, and uh, but that's awesome to hear um, so then you, what, how long ago was that? This was like 15 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So a while. 
Um, I wasn't in that, in that whole time. Right. Also so, consistent. Yeah, everyone, everyone's got that, right? And did you start vegetarian or was it like overnight you just no. decided to go vegan? Overnight vegan. Yeah, that was kind of like me too. Her booty, they were really inspiring. Like. <laughs> um, I'm not, of all the reasons people have made this lifestyle transformation, I've never heard anyone cite booty shorts as the reason, but it's probably in the back of their heads nonetheless, <laughs> right? It's always there. Um, they just don't admit it. Hey, it's Matt and Doug jumping in here with a couple announcements. First up, The Plant-Based Athlete, my new book co-written with vegan bodybuilder Robert Cheek, comes out June 15th and is now available for pre-order. And Matt, I don't know if you know this, but I have spent the last couple weeks since you sent me a, a copy of the draft, just mm -hmm. scouring the book. I, there's so much awesome information in this thing, and I am so excited to be giving it to you know, buying a bunch myself to give to, to friends and, and parents and all kinds of stuff, because this is a really comprehensive and robust guide for whether you're a new plane-based athlete or just barely interested in it, or someone like me who's been doing it for a while. That is exactly what we are going for, Doug, so I'm glad to hear that. We wanted this to be uh, the comprehensive manual, the end-all, be-all guide to becoming a plant-based athlete or getting the most out of your plant-based diet if you already are an athlete. Uh, we packed it full of information, not just the protein, carbohydrates, fat, and all the micronutrients. Of course, that stuff is there, uh, but also lots more athlete-specific topics like how to use fruits and vegetables to supercharge your recovery. And Matt, don't forget about my favorite section, the Day in the Life section, where you highlight 25 champion and Olympian plant-based athletes and everyday people like you break down exactly what they eat in a day. I know that for myself, having that sort of roadmap takes all the information from the other sections of the book and allows you to really distill it down and figure out how you can use it in your everyday life. Yes, Doug. In addition to that, we've got meal plans plus 60 recipes that you can use uh, to work into your current diet or create your own diet based around. Uh, the Plant-Based Athlete has been endorsed by all kinds of big names in the vegan space, uh, not least of which is T. Colin Campbell, uh, but also the Esselstyns, Michael Greger, who also wrote The Forward, Dotsie Bausch, uh, Chloe Coscarelli, every vegan's favorite ultra runner, Scott Jurek, uh, Brenda Davis, both uh, Ocean and John Robbins. I mean, all kinds of who's who in the plant-based space. Uh, have endorsed the plant-based athletes, and soon we're going to be on the Ritual podcast, which is a little bit of a fun surprise. Uh, anyway, the whole book comes out in a few weeks, June 15th, 2021. You can pre-order it now, though, at book.nomadeathlete.com, and you should absolutely do that. Uh, it's so helpful to to the, so important for the success of a book like this that we get early pre-orders so that the bookstores know they want to stock this book, so that media knows they want to cover it. Uh, I know I don't always order books three, four weeks in advance, but if you can make an exception in this case, we would really, really appreciate it. So check it out, book.nomadathlete.com, and you'll get all kinds of bonuses if you pre-order before June 15th. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, helping you take charge of your mental health. What interferes with your happiness or prevents you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment so it's convenient and you can start communicating in under 48 hours, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Doug, if you've ever worked with a counselor before, you know how important it is to find the right match. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Plus, I have I have run into that problem before, Matt, and it really, I mean, you know, having the right counselor makes all the difference whether you're successful or not, so I'm, and this is yeah. awesome that you can kind of switch. Have you, have you sat in an uncomfortable waiting room, too? <laughs> I have sat in an uncomfortable waiting room, yeah. Plus, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. 
BetterHelp is not a crisis line or self-help. It's professional counseling specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, and so much more. And uh, hardcore listeners will know we've had episodes on sleeping. We've had we've had the anxiety episode. Relationships. And, uh, relationships are com- constant theme. <laughs> yeah, we haven't yeah. done the we haven't done the depression episode yet, but no. one of these days. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and send a message to your counselor anytime. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash no meat. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash no meat for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. This episode is also brought to you by Inside Tracker. Matt, as you know, every day there is a new wellness trend. You got to eat this, you got to do that, you got to avoid those. How do you know where to start and who to trust? Inside Tracker cuts through the noise by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle and fitness trackers to provide you with a personalized science-backed trackable action plan for how to live, age, and perform better. And as we've said, that plan is, is really what puts all of this together. I think that it's so great to have that information, but then if you don't have a plan or, or a you know, way to put it into action, then, uh, you know, then, it's just, then it's just information, nothing else. Yep. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests. Their blood tests include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin or vitamin D. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering Nomad Athlete Radio listeners 25% off their entire store. Go to insidetracker.com slash NMA. Changes an inside job. Start inside. So, uh... As part of that journey, obviously, you know, you acknowledged, right, that there's this global health epidemic, right? And in particular, unfortunately, the the disproportionate rates by which black and brown communities are affected by these diseases, right? Particularly, you know, type two diabetes, heart disease, and a lot of cancers, among others, cerebrovascular diseases, you know, it's a massive issue. So tell us about at some point in that 15 year journey, you started to think less about booty shorts and more about your role, you know, kind of as an activist, as a outspoken educator, you know, about the, the black experience relative to what we eat and, and these health epidemics. So maybe you can educate us a little bit about when did you recognize that you wanted to do more than worry about your middle-aged body and booty shorts and, and kind of become, you know, uh, like I say, a, a spokesperson in so many ways? So when I first started, when I, you know, went cold turkey and started with a vegan diet, a lot of, like I said, a lot of the health ailments that I was having started clearing up. Like even one time I was told that, oh, you got cancerous cells and you need to get a a small procedure and and literally I just went on kind of a juice fast and didn't put anything toxic on my skin and it cleared up on his own and I was just like the doctor was about to have me burn off a piece of one of my organs like why wasn't I told that I could simply just change my diet up and this would go away within months and as someone who was you know I was going to funeral after funeral none of them were people dying of old age. These are my family members dying of these diseases that I'm reading are curable if you know if you change the way you live. 
Like, and not even just food, like, you know, you get enough sleep and even you go to places with cleaner air, you're not as stressed. Like all these holistic things that we're not being taught, even though we're the sickest. So that kind of motivated me like Jazz, you have to get this information out, not only to your family, but to everyone, because it's literally a life or death issue. And how long ago was that? This is about 10 years ago. Okay. And so obviously, given your background, the most natural way of getting that information out to your family, to your community was a documentary, right? So tell us, like, at what point did you say, I'm going to do this? And as any great artist faces that, like, you know, that, that whole emotional roller coaster of like, I'm going to do this, like, tell us about that decision. And then obviously, like, you had the excitement and then at some point you hit the dip as Seth Godin calls it, where you're like, oh my God, this is so much harder. I imagine you can tell me if I'm wrong than you anticipated and all those dark nights of this is going to be terrible. Right. So what walk us through, what was that decision like? And, and what was that journey like to create this, this art that clearly meant so much to you personally? So the journey, well, I guess first, um, first starting point is when I was trying to tell my friends and family about this, um, about veganism, a lot of them were kind of dismissing it. Because, you know, I moved from D.C. to L.A. So they were like, oh, you know, you moved to L.A. So now you're on this Hollywood diet. And then everyone was like, oh, now you on this white people stuff. And then I was thinking, I was like, why do they keep calling it like white people stuff? And then I started you know, watching, you know, I'm in the film. So I started watching a lot of the documentaries, you know, the vegetated cowspiracy food and forks over knives. And I was watching it. I was like, oh my God, these are so great. Why don't they get it? And then I thought about it. I was like, oh, all of these documentaries, even though they're incredible and I would give them credit for inspiring my work, most of them center around, you know, white men. So I was like, oh, this is why people think this is a white thing. So that's what made me say like, all right, Jazz, you need to make something that's more palatable and you need to market to an audience that is not being marketed to. So that's where the kind of uh, idea, the aha moment came to uh, do a documentary about veganism and gear it to the black community. And so of course, you know, I was excited about that. Oh, I'm doing a documentary on black veganism. And whenever I would tell my friends, it's like my excitement will be here and their excitement will be here. But I just, I, I pushed past that. And then I think the next kind of humbling moment was the, the budget. Cause with, you know, with a film, even if you're making a cheap documentary, like ultra low budget is about a thousand dollars per minute. And my documentary, you know, comes in around like 80 minutes. So at the time I was, you know, producing this, I was, you know, in my mid twenties, I didn't necessarily have like an extra hundred grand in my wallet, but I just kept pushing forward. The tab was just going up and up and up. And I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna work it out, but I'm gonna work it out. And then I did um, a crowdfunder. Someone told me you should do a crowdfunder. And I learned how to put together a crowdfunding campaign. And then I was able to raise about 60, 65,000 to complete the film on top of just kind of saying say la vie to my savings. So, <laughs> so, so you know, as, as, uh, as someone who is uh, 
been called an entrepreneur as, as much as I like kind of cringe to, to say that about myself. I have to ask questions around around that budgeting and, and the fear and the decision, you know, first of all, how, how did you pull off a crowdfunding campaign to raise $60,000, That's a lot of money, right? Um, so that was a huge success. And then what was like the self-talk around, it's cool, I'm going to put my life savings into this art, right? Because like, I have to, right? And, and again, like, I'm, I've definitely taken that leap. So I'm, I'd love to hear, you know, what, what was that self-dialogue as you were making that decision? Oh, um, it was one of those things. It's like, it's like when you gamble, you know, sometimes if you don't, you know, if you don't put things, if you don't put a lot on the line, you won't gain anything. So I think this was it. This was kind of my gamble. But the only thing was I felt like I didn't have anything to lose. Like, even though I would be losing like my savings per se, I look at money as something I can always get back. You know, at the time I was like, okay, I'm in my twenties. I'm pretty sure I'll be able, I'll have the opportunity to save up again and the money that I lost will be replenished, which is what happened. So I, I just went into it with, I heard the doubts in my head, but I just ignored them. I'm just like, okay, we're just going to ignore the doubts. We're going to go with this Nike slogan and just do it. Yeah. And uh, that's awesome. And big fan of the Nike slogan. Uh, how, how did you just pure curiosity, like, did you just go out and scream from the rooftop about your crowdfunding campaign? Or was there like some sort of strategy that you built around that? I, I got to know. Yeah. So for my crowdfunding campaign, like as with anything, I think one, you always want to be resourceful and then you also want to own your ignorance. So I knew it was one of those things where I knew that I was ignorant about crowdfunders. So I'm like, okay, let me pay someone who's actually an expert in this to help me design my crowdfunding campaign. So I did get, um, I did get assistance when putting it together. And I also got a lot of my friends on deck, you know, and I didn't, you know, send them text messages because sometimes people can ignore text messages. I put myself in a very awkward situation on a lot of times and I would call up friends and I would ask them, you know, even the ones that not necessarily for money, but I would say, Hey, can you share my slogan? I mean, can you share my crowdfunding campaign for seven days in a row on your networks? And, you know, when you talk to people and you're sincere about what you're trying to achieve, like a lot of times people will rally together and help. And that's what happened. Wow. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, it just goes to show you sometimes, you know, when you don't know what to do, the best thing to do is find someone who's done it before and ask them what to do. So I uh, definitely commend you for, for figuring that out. Um, so we, we talked about the decision, right? And, and you definitely you hit that dip and you push through, particularly around the budget and the fears. Then you got to the end. Tell us like in hindsight, I mean, was it everything you wanted? Will it always be a, a work in progress? Do you like want to get back there as soon as you can to like redo it? Uh, like, tell tell us about after the launch. So after, so the first time I saw my film completed, like right before I was showing it to the world, I remember I broke down and started crying 
because I thought it was so awful. I was like, this is the worst film ever. Because of course, like I saw all the technical corners that I cut, you know, just when I was traveling to all these cities, like I didn't have money to hire a crew everywhere I went. So I didn't have professional audio and a cameraman. It was just me, this one-stop shop. And I saw, you know, the, the error with that. And so it just made me so sad. And a few of my friends, they were just like, okay, Jazz, we'll just watch it. We'll hope, you know, we'll just see what we can change. And they watched it and they were like, uh, friend, you need to stop crying. This is actually, it might not be perfect, but it's actually a really good movie. And it was received very well by most people. Well, that's what they told me at least. And so the a big lesson for me is just, you know, it's not, and that's another thing, like, don't worry about how much money you have. Like, my film might not look like, you know, James Cameron and Game Changers, because he had like $10 million. But just because you don't have what someone else has, doesn't mean you can't create something equally as special, you know, like the all the technical bells and whistles, that's not what makes something special. It's the intention and it's the message. And I had both of those things. So it all worked out. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I don't want to go too far into the, the content of Invisible Vegan. I, I have to say my, uh, over the, the summer, my wife and I are, were educating ourselves on these topics and she actually discovered you and we watched it. And it's an amazing, amazing documentary. So I encourage everyone to go check it out. But if there's one message that you hoped people would walk away from around you know the the African roots of eating plant based and that that connection that uh, you know aside from plant based eating is not just for white people is, is there another message that that you want to get out in that work or now generally? Um, I think uh, you know what Christopher Sebastian he said you know he was one of the the guys in the film. And he said, you know, I want Black people to have that empathy back. Um, I really, I really like that line. And I think that's something that I would like for people to take away from the film. Because a lot of African-Americans, when it comes to animal rights, they're so, or we are so triggered by it. Um, because of the way it's been presented to us. Because of the comparisons um, that we've scene that we didn't really like. Um, it's just turned us off to it without really looking at, you know, what's at the foundation, like what's at the core of the message. So that's something I want for people to take from it too. Like be, be open to, be open to this. That's awesome. And a great segue because you're, you're hoping others are open to it. You've led the campaign uh, for to, to petition Kamala Harris to transition her diet. Um, why Kamala Harris? I can guess. Uh, why not Biden? Why why not uh, you know any other elected public official? Official and what what are you hoping to to come of that? So the yeah the Javinci Coalition they brought me on board. Um, as one of their coalition leaders to position for yeah, Kamala to go vegan. And I think, you know, for in the African-American community, 
it would be so nice, you know, to see someone in that position, you know, someone that's admired by so many and not only admired, but respected, um, kind of set the tone and, and almost validate veganism. Cause to a certain extent, I feel like veganism almost needs to be validated because if everyone around you, if your teachers, your priests, your president, like all these people are around you making it seem like our food system is acceptable, then everybody else is going to think it's acceptable. And she has already acknowledged that the way that we're eating is not sustainable. Like all the cows that we're killing, she's already acknowledged that. So I think she was a good target for this kind of campaign because she, she feels like she's already on the cusp and she just, yeah. she would just, so many people yeah well we know we know she has a, a healthy relationship with uh cory booker so i'm sure he's been working on on that transition so we gotta we gotta hope um that's that's awesome um tell me what what is the future look like for you you've done your first documentary you've done a lot of acting you've written a critically acclaimed play in fourth grade, um, what 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 is, what is the future for Jasmine? Oh, um, hopefully, my my future future. Well, what I hope for myself, like my goal, is ultimately just to be happy. You know, to be happy. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good goal. Yeah, like honestly, that's it. Because um, there's so many different ways my life could shift. Like you know, somebody offered me a really cool leading lady role, or someone offered me a really great movie. You know, there are different avenues that I could take and I can't pinpoint that one would make me happier than the other. Just, um, yeah, just being happy. But I am working on another documentary. This one is about eating disorders, which I feel complements the vegan project really well. Cause a lot of people take veganism to a, they can take veganism to a very obsessive place. So I want to make sure I'm responsible while advocating for um, this diet. Okay. And uh, what, what, well, I don't want to give too much away relative to your, your future project. So maybe we'll just end off on a, uh, a, a personal curiosity. Um, you are a foster mom and have fostered uh, kids who are, you know, maybe half your age, right? Uh, and, and you're a relatively young uh, woman uh, relative to fostering a teenager. That is an incredible gift, uh, you know, to that individual, but just generally that role in society. I am so fascinated as a relatively new dad, you know, wh what, where did that come from? Like just um, any anything that you say on it, like I said, I'm, I'm so curious to know, like, because I've honestly never met a foster parent my entire <laughs> life, never, never seen one. Um, so I'm curious, like, what, what was that decision making process like? So, okay. So I don't, you know, I don't have children. I, I always feel like, you know, everyone, like there's some unspoken social contract that we have where we should in some way, whatever way that is, you know, be trying to make the world better. And so I found this program, it was called Kids Save. And what they do is they match you with a, um, a child in foster care. So since kids in foster care, they're constantly jumping from home to home or group home to group home. You are the one consistent thing 
in their life until they turn 18. Like you commit to one child, you have to, you know, see them twice a month. They can spend the night at your house. So I felt like at the time, you know, I was in my twenties, I was like, oh, this is perfect. You know, it's, it's consistent and I'm just helping someone's life. And it just so happened that the person, you know, the boy that I got, um, paired with, you know, once you're exposed to things on a certain level, it's kind of like, oh, no, I got to step in and kind of do something more for the situation and do all I can. So that kind of opened the floodgates. And then after that experience, you know, I got another call about another kid that needed a home. And it was like, I mean, if I have abundance, um, I mean, not by, you know, Jeff Bezos scale, but if I can help somebody, why not? And I can't, I can't be out here, you know, talking about Black Lives Matter and, you know, just all this stuff and then not putting my money where my mouth is. Like I have to, if I'm saying all this stuff matters, if I'm promoting, you know, compassion, I have to live that. So this is kind of just me living that. Wow. That is, yeah, taking it to, to a, a whole nother level. And, uh, we, we should all aspire to, to live it in that way, right? Um, what was that like? Just sorry, one, one last question, because once we stop recording, I'll no longer, it'll no longer be appropriate to ask such probing questions. But, but in the, for the sake of my art, this interview, I'm, I'm allowed to, I guess, right? Um, what, what was that first night like, where all of a sudden, like you went from being in your 20s right to to single and and you know like only responsible for yourself to being a mom like literally overnight not even right like there was an hour where you went from like just you to like you being responsible for for another person what what was that like I think so I'll say taking in the baby I'll, I'll go with that one um, that was the biggest shock, <laughs> uh, you know, teenagers at a certain point, like teenagers are kind of self-sufficient. You don't really have to, you know, do too, too much. But so since I didn't have any experience with babies, I work from home, you know, I work on a, um, I work on a, a TV show now. So I was just like, oh yeah, I'm at home all day. You know, I can put a baby in a crib while I work. No problem. It's going to be that easy. And then the first day the baby came, I was like, what? I have to like, look at this entity like every minute of the day because he tries to kill himself like 20 times a day. And so I think (laughs) that was the big, that was the big, oh my God, my life has changed. And then when he first got to my house, um, he was so sad because he didn't understand what was going on. So to see a baby just kind of looking around and being so scared and just screaming to the top of his lungs, for days, it was really hard on me. Like it started, I even, at one point, like I even broke down and started crying because I'm like, this child is so traumatized and it's breaking my heart. And um, so it was, it was an adjustment for both of us. But once, but once we found our groove, like now it's, it's lovely. Wow. I honestly cannot imagine. Uh, and, and I can't imagine cause I have, you know, two kids under two. And, and so I know exactly, you know, but at the same time, I could never know. Right. And, uh, and that is an amazing, amazing gift for, 
for that little dude, but but also for for society in general. Um, I hope you'll do a documentary. I hope you've got cameras set up all over your house, just recording constantly, because that'll be great b-roll for the documentary you do you know because there's obviously a connection between compassion right and and caring for the animals we in our community have people who do these amazing amazing things uh to save animals but but again like i've never heard of anyone who's who's going to the life-altering lengths that you have to to save you know a a human life right um and, and to alter it and care for it and pour your your you know everything into into that relationship it, it is just the most amazing thing so i really hope you'll you'll do a documentary on that next i wouldn't even know you know what like the honestly the foster care system it is so jacked up like i <laughs> what uh, they I did shouldn't, i shouldn't laugh i but but i i can only imagine right you can only you can only imagine you can only imagine like if I did a doc on it, it's it's one of those things I wouldn't even know I would rip the foster care system apart and I wouldn't even know where to start it's <laughs> bad it is bad oh man well I I think that'll when you come back you'll do the starfish dance and <laughs> we'll dig deep into the foster care system and there's so much more to talk about, but, but to leave it there for today, um, Jasmine, is there, uh, of course, you know, you've got your, your website, Jasmine Leva, L-E-Y-V-A, uh, spelled kind of how it sounds, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, is there another place that people can find you or find your work? Of course. Invisiblevegan.com, all over the, um, channels we'll link to all these things i'm on uh what is it instagram twitter facebook patreon i mean i'm on tiktok but not like on tiktok but i'm there findable got it uh is there a final word a message something a call to action for all the people listening today for all the people listening um I would just go with just move and love. Like whether you are, if you're on your vegan journey, like if this is something you want to start, like be loving towards yourself at any point. If you relapse, do not make it a big thing of shame and guilt. Love yourself. Relapse can be a part of the process. If you are already a vegan, you know, maybe instead of turning people off one dinner table at a time, be compassionate to people who have not reached, you know, their point where they want to fully commit and show them the loving side of veganism and make them want to be a part of something, a beautiful community. So just, yeah, everyone move in love. Move in love. I love that. And I don't know any vegans who've ever turned off a dinner table full of people ever. Um, really? No, I'm kidding. Uh, I've turned off at least 10 myself. Um, you know, multiple, sometimes multiple of the same people, just, you know, different years that go back, you know, for Thanksgiving and do it all again, you know, so I'm, uh, I'm definitely at fault for that. So I, uh, I will take your, your call to action to heart and, uh, and try to be more, more loving. Love. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jasmine. Really appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank you for having me.